Welcome to the Investor Download, the podcast about the themes driving markets and the economy now and in the future. Welcome to the Investor Download. We're here today to talk about why investors should care about people and culture and how people management can be assessed and what all this means for investment decisions. We're also going to look at some of the trends in the tech sector in a bit more detail, including what we found out from companies themselves. Here today to explain about some new research on this topic, we have Angus Bauer, Head of Sustainable Investment Research. Welcome, Angus. How are you? Hi, very well, thank you. And we also have Nicolette McDonnell-Brown, Portfolio Manager and Head of European Blend. Hi. Afternoon. And we have Vijay Anand, who is an analyst focused on European tech. Hi. Hello. <laughs> so um, we're going to go into the research, first of all, um, and why investors cannot ignore this topic and how we can assess it and what we've found. Angus, could you just tell us a bit about um, why this topic is so important at this moment in particular? <clears throat> yeah, sure. Um, so there are a variety of structural and cyclical reasons that that really emphasize the importance of analyzing human capital and human capital management today but if we just step back for a second you know every single company pretty much has has claimed forever that its people are its greatest asset and you know the the the, the investment gurus of of times gone past Ben Graham, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, etc., Nicolette McDonald Brown have all recognized the importance of company culture, of the way, you know, the qualitative strengths of organizations. And so, you know, above all else, really what we are trying to do in the human capital research work streams that we've been developing is introduce <clears throat> quantitative and qualitative ways using novel data sets and and using um, metrics that have been honed in academic circles and in the HR industry to to ameliorate and really empower our analysis and and an understanding of these topics. So you know that's the background. Cyclically speaking, we um, came through the pandemic. We had the Great Resignation. The pendulum swung ever so slightly back from capital towards labour, um, and you know whilst central banks, the Federal Reserve and so on, have been putting up interest rates. They have not yet broken labour markets. You know, labour markets are still very tight. Um, labour has a certain degree of bargaining power today that it has not had in the past. And, you know, whether or not we're going into a recession, the reality is that as we look forward from today, the importance of the relationship between employees and their workers is incredibly relevant in understanding the persistence of company business models, the ability of companies to withstand cyclical dynamics and changes in those dynamics going forward, uh, and really understand the sustainability of the returns profiles because people are such an important asset within the productive capabilities of an organization. Great, thanks. So that's a bit about why it's such an important focus. Um, and then how actually can we assess that? What well, have you done? Um, it's it's a difficult one to answer because that people are complex, right? If we if we start with some definitions, human capital in inverted commas effectively refers to the capabilities, um, the networks, the relationships um, that are built up or, and that exist 
uh, within an organization. So human capital itself is a, is a very rich but complex topic. Human capital management, uh, by definition, is is the optimization of, of the management of that resource, the, the maximization of the potential and the value within that resource. And so, you know, whilst we have made some progress in in being able to introduce quantitative metrics to assess this kind of stuff to to improve the or enrich the qualitative analysis that we can do we have to sort of uh, reflect on the reality that because of the complexity involved in in human relationships uh, human relationship people's relationships with their companies with their bosses and so on you know what we're doing here is is um, helping ourselves ask better questions of the sources of value creation and the sustainability of those sources. But um, I mentioned uh, in my first response the, the the work that has been done in academic circles and in the HR industry. What we have effectively done in our research is is try to think, um, you know, from first principles about this point that if 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 the management of culture, if the management of people, if incentivization of people, the performance management of people is material, i.e., if it has material consequences or implications on the financial returns of a business, we should see it in outcomes metrics that uh, reflect the leverage that a company might generate on its total investment in people. So with that as our starting point, um, which is quite a different starting point to, to, to what has been you know uh, done elsewhere where people have looked for example at you know standard setters and and you know what is expected in terms of disclosures and then <clears throat> sought to sort of unpick those, um, elements. We've started from the perspective, if any of this matters, we should see it in the leverage that companies are generating on their investment in people. And so what we then did was we went to academics in the HR industry and said, well, how, you know, how, do, how do HR practitioners measure this? We didn't invent metrics ourselves. We took metrics that exist over here in the HR industry. We took metrics that have been developed and honed and stress tested in academia. And we said, well, let's, let's see if they work in investing. And let's see if we can integrate some of these metrics, for example, returns on investment in human capital. Let's see if we can integrate them into traditional definitions of company return on capital, such that we can then articulate, well, okay, in, in a company's value creation model, if we define value creation financially as, as the returns on capital employed, what proportion of that return is being driven by balance sheets or physical assets or tangible, traditional tangible assets? And what proportion of that value creation is being driven by the intangibles and the investment in those people? And once we then start to ask that question, the next question then becomes, well, how much of that investment is is, is cash going out the door directly What from one year to the next? How much of that investment is investment in tomorrow's capabilities, i.e. investment that would be similar in nature to in investment capex in plant and equipment, as it were? And you know how much of that investment actually perhaps is indirect, i.e. it's investment in training or it's investment in the culture of the business that ultimately can be a very powerful incentivizer and motivator of discretionary effort over and above the financial incentive that is represented by how much you get paid at the end of each month. So <clears throat> you know, in terms of the stepping stones of our research process, we sort of started by asking the question, if this is material, where should we see it? How might we then assess the materiality of these consequences? Can we build outcomes metrics that we can run regression analyses on, that we can actually sort of backtest in the traditional sense to, to sort of build a, a, an implied sense of the materiality of these consequences? And then actually, what does 
investment in people look like practically? What does human capital management look like practically? Is it dollars paid in salaries? Is it benefit packages? Is it nice holiday perks? Or is it like teamwork, culture, strength of leadership, purpose, and so on? Um, we haven't been able to answer all of the questions on the la on the latter sort of collection of, of softer features, if you will. They're harder to dollarize. In fact, we're not trying to dollarize them. But where we've got to so far is we've been able to articulate, you know, what portion of of um, the investment in people um, really can be sort of considered direct cash-based investment, um, how that leverage or how the leverage on that investment drives returns on capital, and then where the residual, i.e. the collective um, sort of uh, the the collective um, power of management of culture, ma management of um, trust and performance management processes, innovation processes, and so on, where that then flows into um, the excess returns on investment in people is is really where we then sort of um, stop in terms of the research that we that we are shortly publishing and and uh, then begin to ask questions of how companies can better drive that to extract higher returns going forward. Thank you. So it's very in-depth research. And how would you sum up the main finding from that? Well, um, it's really exciting. That, so a number of sort of um, conclusions that our research is pointing to um, that are pretty material for investors. So number one, companies that are better human capital managers create more value through the cycle. Um, now, that to me is really exciting because, you know, one of the core tenets of sustainable investing is that more sustainable companies and more sustainable business models persist through time or have more persistent returns. What we've seen in the research is the companies that have better human capital management specifically hold on to uh, their returns through the cycle better than companies that do not when we sector adjust and industry adjust and so on. So that speaks to you know one of these wonderful intangibles, which would be the the institutional nature of culture, for example. Um, we've also found that a number of the quantitative human capital metrics that we have been developing are additive to investor returns when we look at them in our backtesting and our regression analyses. So human capital return on investment, for example, has a high degree of incremental explanatory power when we integrate that into a multi-factor quantitative framework. So you know, we have found that markets tend to reward companies that are better human capital managers when we look across multiple industries, across multiple time horizons, controlling for multiple traditional quantitative factors. Um, the final thing I would say is that we have found that um, it is really important when we think about the drivers of human capital returns that companies address human capital or address the management of their people holistically. And by that, I really mean that you know, because of the complexity of an organization, it's, it's, it's not really optimal just to focus on pay and nothing else. Because if you skew your incentive structure, if you skew the way you manage your human capital asset one way at the expense of another, for example, you create an imbalance in, in, in the outcome. You can create an imbalance in the incentive structure. And we see that actually companies that are not taking a, a sort of whole systems approach to managing their human capital asset, so perhaps are not planning uh, workforce capabilities effectively or perhaps not incentivizing effectively, 
effectively or not managing their culture or inclusion effectively, for example. You know, companies that fall short on one of these elements uh, generally are, uh, are appearing to be a little bit weaker in the outcomes either financial or employee-centric outcomes, satisfaction or turnover, for example, than companies that manage the whole suite of human capital systems more effectively. Interesting. Thank you very much for summing up your research and why investors should care about this topic. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to the Investor Download. Um, Nicolette, I'm going to come to you now because we definitely want to hear about um, what this means for investment decisions. Um, I wonder if you could just tell me a bit about why this research and research like it matters to you and your team. Thank you very much. Um, tough to follow that very technical um, explanation. So I guess when we think about it, when we think about investment decisions that VJ and I make on the active sort of equity side, you know, what we're trying to do to echo Angus's language is find persistent businesses, find companies where we think the market is mispricing the potential of businesses. And what we're aware is that when we think about sustainability analysis, um, if I wind the clock back, everyone thinks about the environment. Everyone thinks that's the most yeah. important stakeholder and that's where everyone starts. Um, but it was very clear to us, particularly when we were looking at some sectors and particularly VJ's specialty tech, that actually people were what really mattered. And what we needed was a toolkit to help us blend the quant uh, that Angus has spoken about and then the qualitative, which is the bit that VJ and I do, which is like practically how do these companies implement what they're doing? Um, because very simply, you know, talent is what drives growth and you want to understand how people are being attracted, trained and retained. And that mm. is what this analysis helps us do. And how do you assess at a portfolio level the kind of potential impacts from good or bad people management or culture? So I think we'd probably start at kind of that like stock by stock level. And we would think about those businesses where their talent, their IP, their kind of added extra is people and that that's hard for us to capture from outside. So when we think about what it adds to us is when we're looking at that mosaic of things that we look at from an investment perspective, whether it's valuation, financial forecasts, all of that, it's like, how does this analysis about people help us gain conviction around our forecasts? It could be businesses recovering from difficult times. It could be businesses where we've seen underinvestment, mismanagement, crises. It could be about, okay, well, what signs do we see that that's improving? And that in turn should see like a multi-year improvement of growth. Or it could be, okay, when we look at businesses that have done very well for a very long period of time, what is the footprint of what has caused that? What's the good? And then what, when we're talking to other businesses, could be replicated elsewhere. So think of it as part of a mosaic of things that help mm. us make an investment decision. But particularly when we're talking about people-heavy businesses, it helps us talk about the most material stakeholder. And has this sort of analysis been done before? I wonder if you could talk to me a bit about what's changing and what's new, both in, in kind of your way of working and just in trends in this space at a high level? Um, so I'm definitely willing to say by us, we haven't done it before. And we've tried and we haven't quite got it right. Like we have kind of looked at kind of obvious things. We've looked at glass door surveys, we've looked at turnover data. And like that tends to give you a snapshot of 
what's happening in a business today. It doesn't necessarily help you think about why it's happening or how that could be changed. And so really what this analysis helps us, and you know, to echo Angus's language, helps us think about persistence, right? It helps us think about things that are driving change and improvement within a business. So for us, it's definitely something different. And certainly when I look at our peers as well, I think it's something that we are sort of uniquely well-placed to do. You know, I look at the people sat on this sofa, you know, I have a tech expert and I have an HCM expert, and that's pretty rare. Um, and perhaps even rarer is they talk the same language. You know, we can sit on company meetings together, and that is so vital because we want to take Angus's very sophisticated work and bring it down to what VJ and I do on a day to day basis. And so we think we're very unusual in that position. Get in touch with us by email at shorterspodcasts at shorters.com or visit our website, shorters.com forward slash investor download. And Vijay, we're going to talk to you now about in a bit more detail about the tech sector mm-hmm. and um, conversations you've been having with companies um, and how this works in practice. So um, I just wonder if you could tell me a bit about um the contact that you do have with companies, and particularly in this area, um, what you've been talking to them about lately? Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, so to start off, the reason we um, decided to do it for the tech sector is, uh, as Nicolette mentioned, uh, innovation is the heartbeat of these companies. And innovation is, of course, dependent on people. Uh, mm-hmm. And we wanted to have a better toolkit to understand the sustainability of that um, innovation better. Uh, having said that, I think everyone these days talk, talk, everyone these days talks about artificial intelligence. We yeah. certainly spend a lot of time thinking about AI in terms of the impact that AI has on our companies and our potential investments. It could be argued that um, with the emergence of AI, the skill set required for a company to be successful in a decade is perhaps going to look very different to the skill set required to be successful today, and. Perhaps the companies who are better at human capital management will do a better job in managing this transition than those who aren't, and hence prove to be more successful um, and sustainable investments from our perspective. Um, Now, in terms of engaging with companies, um, as we talked about, it's it's a fairly opaque stakeholder, you know, understanding employees in terms of lack of quantifiable KPIs, certainly quantifiable metrics based on which companies report on a consistent basis. Um, So to understand better, I think um, the only way to do that was to directly engage with companies. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, there are a few of us involved in this. Uh, So Isabel, Jake and I, uh, we we worked with uh, Angus. Um, Our job was first to identify a list of companies to to go after, which is largely based on Angus's uh, work. And Isabel uh, and Jake, the analysts yes. in your team as well, yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, so so once we identify the list of targets, so just, you know, speak to them and, and understand uh, how they think about human capital management. And typically we are speaking to um, uh, fairly higher up in the HR department, often uh, in, in almost all cases, it's the head of talent. Mm-hmm. And they've been very insightful conversations. 
And um, what sort of things have you found from those conversations with companies? I mean, they've been incredibly insightful in the sense that we've certainly questioned some of the common notions we had. Oh, right. So, um, I mean, when when Angus's work, well, when we worked with Angus on 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 his um, uh, on on the output of his research, um, some so so the common notion might be that companies who have high turnover are perhaps should be classified as high risk. But one would be surprised to see that some of those companies rank higher up in in terms of the quartiles of you know um, companies who are good at human capital management versus those who aren't. And um, and certainly when we engage with companies, we've come to the realization that looking just at that turnover data, which Nicolette alluded to, is perhaps not helpful at all, because they have a much more sophisticated way of how they look at churn, how they measure it. And we've certainly been encouraging them to um, perhaps expand their disclosure because that disclosure will be very helpful for us in making the differentiation from a leader to a laggard. Um, I mean, generally speaking, you know, uh, human capital is not a one size fits all type of approach. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, it's been quite insightful learning how some companies have adopted the way they manage their employees based on their business model. It's very much a two-way conversation mm -hmm. then. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you think the kind of learnings from these conversations could impact investment decisions? Well, we are halfway through the process in terms of um, uh, on, our, on our engagements. So hopefully by the end of the process, the, our ambition is to have a framework in place, um, which, uh, which, which helps us perhaps um, identify the right questions that we need to be asking these companies and ultimately help us differentiate between what a leader might look like or what a laggard might look like. As, as Nicolette said, some companies who have had probably historically um, some issues in terms of how they manage their employees, but are perhaps improving. And hence that could represent uh, investment opportunities for us. So overall, um, as Nicolette mentioned, um, we are hopeful that it probably adds another dimension to how we look for sustainable investments. Great. Thanks very much for bringing that to life. And thank you. thank you, Nicolette and Angus as well. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, please head to schroders.com forward slash insights. And we're endeavouring to record as many of these shows in the studio on video. If you want to watch them in their full unabridged version, uh, then go to Schroder's YouTube channel. If you want to get in touch with us, it's Schroder's podcast at schroders.com. And remember, you can listen, subscribe and review the Investor Download wherever you get your podcasts. New shows drop every Thursday at 5pm UK time. But above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up. And investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products or to adopt any investment strategy. 